0: picked out and we appreciate Scott leading the singing and willie with the with a good prayer and you for coming out tonight it is dark like Archie said and uh, it, it's uh, it is a time of adjustment for just about everybody when the time changes and especially especially when it starts getting dark uh, quite a bit earlier and that is going to be the case in fact uh, up until is it december the 21st uh, the days will get shorter and shorter and shorter. And then after that, they slowly but steadily start going the other way. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, we've, we've got a ways to go uh, with the uh, getting dark stuff. And it is we'll, we will adjust and, and we will get uh, used to it. Tonight, uh, I want to study from the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. And I... I could have a change of mind and a change of heart, but this could be the beginning of a series looking at the letters that we see uh, in the New Testament. I'm going to try to do 2 Corinthians next Sunday night. And, and we might continue with just looking at, uh, at those letters written to congregations, written, written to individuals. That might be uh, what we will do through the winter months, I, and again i 'm not going to say i 'll stick to that uh, every single Sunday night that i 'm up here, but it, but I think uh, that 's kind of going to be uh, the, the normal practice as we go through the cold weather the cold weather months on Sunday night, looking at these uh, these these letters written to the various congregations and some to individuals. I think as we look at first Corinthians tonight we will see some things that are pretty common even in our world today. 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. He had been there before. As a matter of fact, by uh, reading the book of Acts, we would discover that he was there for a long time, spent about a year and a half uh, in the city of Corinth. And so he knew these people uh, uh, very well. We have 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the New Testament. Paul actually refers to what seems to be even a third letter that we don't have preserved. And many historians believe that there was probably even more than that. I personally believe, and this is just a personal view of mine, I believe that there were there must have been a, a lot of letters and messages and notes that were written back in the first century that, that have just not been preserved for us. And so it's, it's very possible that there was a lot of correspondence with the congregation in Corinth. Corinth was located in the central part of Greece. Now if you're familiar with the geography of that part of the world, you know that Greece kind of juts out into the Mediterranean Sea there, but it is, it is just kind of naturally divided. The part that is furthest to the east, to the east, that's where uh, that's where Athens is. It's over in that part of, of Greece, and then there is another part uh, towards the west that is known as the Peloponnesian Peninsula. And those two parts of Greece are connected by a narrow strip of land. It's not very very wide at all, and that's where Corinth was. It sat on that narrow neck of land that connects the two sections or two parts of, uh, of Greece. And so they had a seaport on both sides. And so that made them a, a city of trade, a city of, of, of commerce. Uh, ships sailed in and out of Corinth uh, all day, every day. That would have made it a, a very prosperous city, no doubt. But we also know that it was a very wicked city. History tells us that immorality was the normal everyday lifestyle in Corinth. In fact, the historians tell us that there was a word that was in use back in those days. The word was to corinthesize. And what that word meant was to be wicked and immoral. And so that tells you something about the city of Corinth did not have a very good reputation at all. And so it is not surprising that there would be problems in that brand new congregation in Corinth. One of the issues that they had that Paul addressed immediately in 1 Corinthians was division. They were not acting like brothers and sisters In Corinth, they were not doing that very well at all. And in the very first chapter, starting at verse 10, Paul jumps right into that. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Hey, your brothers and sisters, get together now. It's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, there are contentions among you. You're not getting along. Now, I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas. They're, they're choosing up sides based on the preachers, or, or I am I am of Christ. They're, they're not really one. And so we ask them, is Christ divided? Uh, he, he wasn't. Was Paul crucified for you? Huh? uh Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? That, that was not the case. So wh- what are you doing, brothers and sisters in Corinth? I thank God, he says, that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Paul doesn't mean there that he's sorry that he only baptized a a couple of people personally. He's just saying, I'm glad I didn't do too many because that would have made the division even worse. Even more people would be saying, hey, I'm a Paul. And he knew that wasn't the way it should be. They, They were all Christians. They didn't need this division. This division in Corinth was not according to God's will. Jesus said himself that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Many of you uh, heard that statement or uh, you read that statement in an American history book. Abraham Lincoln made that statement back at the time of the American Civil War. But he got it from Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Brothers and sisters have got to work Together. Now, we're always trying to make sure that every decision that we make and everything that we do is biblical and scriptural and according to the pattern that we see in the New Testament. When we are allowed to make some choices for ourselves, when there's no clear-cut thing here in the New Testament for us to, to read instructions on, it's a decision that we get to make for our congregation. When that happens... We're always trying to do what is best for the common good. Now that means that T.A. might not get his way every time. That means Larry might not get his way every single time. But we're always looking to do what is best for the common good. A division will destroy any congregation. Paul was trying to keep that from happening in Corinth, And we certainly need to make sure that it never happens at Bethel. We're looking to do what is best for everyone as a whole. Now, based on what we said earlier, you might expect that immorality would be a problem even in the church at Corinth. Well, it was. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and starting at verse 9. Paul says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. And yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. He, he was talking about the people right there in the church. Or with the covetous covetous, or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out in the world. He was, he was talking about people right there in the church. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. No, not to eat with such a person. Now look over in chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 18. Flee sexual immorality, he says. That, that's just it. We just got to get away from it. We can't do it. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are Gods. Now, likely, a lot of these people, this was a way of life. This is what they had always done. But now they've obeyed the gospel and supposedly been called out of the world, but they're still doing those things. And Paul is trying to emphasize to them that this has got to stop. If you've got a brother or a sister who is doing these things, you've, got, you've just got to withdraw from them. You've got to point out their error and show them the error of their ways, if they won't change their ways, we cannot recognize them any longer as a brother or sister in good standing. Certainly it was a big problem then, and it is a big problem in our world today. I'm sorry to say it is one of our biggest problems in our world today. It must not be for us. Also, another way that they were divided at Corinth, and I feel compelled to mention this because it, it might be a bigger problem in the church than we actually realize. They were divided along social lines. They had cliques at Corinth. They had, they had social classes. They, they didn't recognize each other. They, did, they didn't act like brothers and sisters. So much so that they could not even take the Lord's Supper properly. Paul, Paul tells us they couldn't. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 17. Now notice what he says to them here. This wasn't anything except social classes and, and, and cliques. That, that's how this was. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but but for the worse. Well, how, how could that be? Well, he He tells them, For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized uh, among you. Are you you one of our gang or not? Uh, It it was an us and them kind of thing. Are you one of our group or, or not? Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper as, as it should have been. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunken. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? The, the well-to-do were, were shaming those who, who had less. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. They, they, they could not even properly commune around the Lord's table and take the Lord's supper because they were not acting like brothers and sisters. There were divisions there based along social class, cliques, their own little factions, and everybody else in the congregation didn't matter. Just their little group. And they, they, couldn't, they couldn't even take the Lord's Supper the right way. We must remember, when we assemble here, we, we are equals. What our bank account says, or what kind of house we live in, or even the clothes we wear, is, is not important. There were no social classes in the Lord's church. There are no cliques. There are no us and them. Let me ask you something: Do you do you try to speak to everybody? Do you make an effort to? And there's no way there were 218 people here this morning. I suspect you didn't speak to every one of them, and I didn't either. I, I tried to, but I'm, I'm certain I didn't get all 217 other people. I'm sure I didn't get to speak. To every single one of them, but do you try to speak to everybody or your little group A- ask yourself ask yourself that question the next time you take the lord's Supper ask ask yourself that question in chapter thirteen he shows them the importance of love he he just basically says what Paul says here in chapter thirteen is if you don't have love, you don't have anything. You are nothing without love. You cannot live a Christian life if you don't have love. He says in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I am become like sounding brass or a clanging, clanging cymbal. You're, it's just a racket. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and, and all knowledge, oh man, I'm, I'm good at all of that. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. Love is just the absolute basic ingredient of a Christian life. If, if, we, if we have love, that basic ingredient, I, I believe the other things will just fall in place. We will love our brothers and sisters. We will love our spouse. We will love our children. We will love people who are out in the world. They're not Christians, but we're worried about their soul, and and we'll be concerned about that if we just have that one basic ingredient. And Paul says, if we don't have it, we're nothing. We're not a Christian. He goes on. Verse 4. Verse 4 now. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not Parade itself. Look at T.A. He's up here in the pulpit. I'm the, I'm the preacher. Love doesn't do that. Love is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. I, I just absolutely... One thing in this world I can hardly stand. It's just rude, discourteous behavior. <laughs> and love, love doesn't do that. And it does not seek its own and is not, prov- not provoked and thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things, and love never fails. That one basic ingredient in a Christian life that we all must have. Last verse of that chapter. And now abides faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest is love. Got to have it, brothers and sisters. If we don't, we're not doing it right. Show up every Sunday. Take the Lord's Supper. If you don't have love, you're not doing it the right way. Let's finish this study by looking in chapter 15. And I I like chapter 15 because it's about the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection and also our own resurrection resurrection. He says there in, in, in verse 3, talking about Jesus, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, that's, that's Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Paul is just giving uh, some eyewitnesses here. that They they saw this. We know he rose from the dead, of whom the greater part remained to the present. In in Paul's day they did. Some have fallen asleep. By, By this time they have all passed away. But in Paul's day, most of them were still alive and could verify it. After that... He was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Paul saw him uh, on the road to Damascus. Now turn with me over to verse 42. This is where he starts talking about our, our own resurrection. This is what he says here. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body, that that lifeless body that will be laid in the tomb, the body is sown in corruption. Ah, but it's raised in incorruption. It is sown buried in, in dishonor. Raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, when the Lord returns, there will be a, still be people walking on this earth. It, it's very possible that every one of us may still be alive to, to see Jesus come back. And so uh, maybe, maybe you're thinking, well... What about our bodies? Because we will never have been buried in the ground. So, what, what happens with us? Uh, verse 50. Now, this I say, brethren flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This, this thing, it, it, it can't. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We, we shall not all sleep, some of us will still be alive. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we, if we're still here, we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. We'll be changed into that spiritual body. That's what's going to go up to heaven. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written: "Death is swallowed up in victory." We sing the song sometimes. "There's a great day coming. great day coming by and by." That's what Paul is writing about here in verse 15. When that great day comes, those who have been laid to rest in the ground, they will be resurrected, they will rise to meet the Lord in the air. If we are still here and and walking on this earth, our our body can't do that. That change in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye into our spiritual body, we will rise together and meet the Lord in the air. You can be part of that. But in order for that to happen, you must be a member of the Lord's church. Tonight, if, if you have never put on Christ in baptism, this is your chance and this is your opportunity to obey the gospel and, be, and become a member of the Lord's church and, and prepare for that, that day when the dead will rise. Meet the Lord in the air. If you've never obeyed the gospel, repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Be immersed in the waters of baptism. Come up out of those waters a new creature and a member of the Lord's body. Perhaps you have been a Christian at some time in your life. You've not been as faithful as you should have been. Repent of those things that caused you to stray and ask for the prayers of the faithful and be restored. Why are we standing and sing.